Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Um, I'm so grateful that you guys made it out to Grape Top Church. Um, you know, I, I love our church. I love our church's name. I love our church people. And I know that this, uh, this season that um, a lot of us have been going through has been exceptionally difficult. And it's, it's so bizarre that we've, we planned this series out a year ago. Um, and it's a series called Loser. And we planned this series out a year ago. And it seems just so fitting for the times that we've been going through. Um, I feel like... Uh, Oftentimes when we are going through something, it seems so consistent. It seems so consistent with pain. Have you ever felt like you've been cursed before? Not like cursed at, but you feel like almost everything bad happens that makes you feel like you're, you're actually cursed. And I want to start off with that question. That question of, do you sometimes feel like you're cursed? Do you sometimes feel like you're cursed? And I feel like uh, there's a point when something bad happens over and over. It feels so consistent with, with it being almost like you're plagued with something. I want to read you all this, um, this story about Joseph because he has these painful moments that create consistent traction in his life, just like a lot of us. And it's to a point where even as adults, something happens to us to where we think about our childhood. And those of y'all may know, may not know, um, Joseph in the Bible, uh, Joseph is a guy that had a vision, had a dream that God gave him. And even though he had great positivity, I don't think there's ever a point where he, uh, it shows that he didn't love himself or that he, he didn't have self-worth or identity. No matter how positive he was, it seemed like everything bad happened in his life. And just from his brothers to the new land that he was sold into, to slavery, it seems like just things always were bad for Joseph. Let me just read y'all some verses. I'm not going to go through the whole story, but some verses that capitalize what it was like for Joseph. In chapter 37 of Genesis, it says in verse 18, When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. A couple verses down to 23, it says, So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off his beautiful robe he was wearing, and then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty, and there was no water in it. I've heard a lot of sermons preached on this specific verse about like there was no water in there because Joseph was the the sustenance in that well and all that blah blah blah. But I think what this verse really epitomizes is that there was nothing for Joseph in there. And so many times in our life we go through something and everyone else is trying to speak positivity to us, but there's no water around us. There's nothing to give us any kind of rest. It's just a horrible moment of emptiness, of darkness, of no life. 
And that's it. There's nothing positive about the moment that we're in. It's a moment where we get to that point where someone says, I'm done. Anyone else here say that before in your life? There's two kinds of I'm done. It's either I'm done, I'm leaving, or I'm done, you're going to get it. (laughs) Right? And I feel like this moment for Joseph is an I'm done moment. I'm done. And notice that Joseph didn't even do anything wrong. He was hated and despised without cause. And a lot of us, it seems like the moment that we right, right when we start doing good in our lives, right when we start having that turnaround moment, and you're like, you know, what was I thinking? I was so dumb before. Let me start trying to be good. Let me start doing the right thing. And it's almost at those moments that we're thrown into a cistern for no reason. Thrown into a well without any water. Thrown into a place without hope. It's in those moments where it feels like we're cursed. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And I've had a lot of people ask me about curses. Not about like, Omer, why do you curse so much? But sometimes it's almost like everybody wonders if this idea about like generational curses is true. Like, am I just cursed because of something in my genealogy? Am I cursed because something my great, great, great grandfather did to me? And that's, it's like, have y'all ever seen that movie Holes? Stanley Yelnut's curse, the Yelnut's curse. (laughs) And it's like we think that because of something someone did way long ago, or maybe something we did, we have this curse that's following us. We have like a permanent (laughs) ojo. And it just follows us wherever we go. And I'm not even going to go into the spiritual implications of generational curses. What I want to tell you is that when it comes to curses and all that, that the, the freedom is in the blood of Jesus. The freedom is in the authority of Jesus' name. And so even, even if you were, it says, the Bible says that Jesus sets the captives free. So anything that was bound to you before, you're free in Jesus Christ. There's nothing that, that holds on to you in him. And if you wanted to pray just to be extra sure, you can pray and break any kind of generational curse over your life. And I'm not trying to confirm or deny that you have a generational curse. What I'm trying to get at is that in those moments that you feel like you're cursed, just to be sure you can just pray and break any curse in Jesus' name. But I feel like life is just that. Life is just that difficult to where it almost makes you feel like you're cursed because of how painful and consistent pain is in your life. Because this isn't where the story ends for Joseph. He, gets, he ends up getting sold into slavery to Egypt. Um, and he starts working at Potiphar's house. And then he, while he's working there, he was the best worker there. Did his very best. And it says that there's a moment where Potiphar's wife started to want him. He, she wanted some of that. And Joseph refused. Because he didn't want to get his... Uh, Not only was he a holy man, but he didn't want to get in trouble with his boss. And he said that when he refused, that there was a moment where he even ran away naked just to get away from her because she grabbed onto his robe. And after that, 
she felt humiliated, and so she screamed and called for her other servants to come, holding Joseph's robe, and accused him of rape. And it says in verse 19 that Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. That part where it says there he remained, doesn't it feel like when we're in something, we're stuck there? And sometimes the pain that we're going through, again, it's a moment for Joseph. He hasn't done anything wrong all the way up to this point. Now, I'm sure that when he was a kid, he probably was annoying, did stupid stuff that kids do. But for the most part, he hasn't done anything incredibly wrong. Nothing notable for the Bible to reference. And yet he has horrible things happening to him over and over. There's a point where the disciples ask Jesus, Jesus, why is this man blind? Is it because of his sins or because of his parents' sins? And see, it's that idea of generational curses. Like, whose fault is this pain of his? Why is this person going through so much pain, Jesus? And Jesus responded in such a mysterious way, and he just simply says, this person was blind so that the glory of God can be seen through them. And then he healed them. And it's, it, it leaves so much mystery because it makes you wonder, so did God send the pain, the blindness? Did God do it just for an opportunity for like that? Or is that just how it is? And God uses painful moments like that to show his glory. Y'all see how mysterious that is? And I feel like all of our, our life and all throughout the Bible, people are wondering of why misery happens. Why do painful things happen? Why do hardships happen? And it's just easier to believe that it's just a curse and not chaos. And when... If we were to recognize that our world is truly chaos, that it is chaos, that it wasn't formed out of chaos, that because of sin entering our world, there is chaos. It makes the hope of a God being sovereign so much more meaningful. It makes the, the hope in Jesus, the hope in God, that even in this chaos, we have a lifeline. It makes it so much more hopeful. Y'all get what I'm saying? And see, no matter what you go through as a kid, I feel like you never really get over it. Everyone has had horrible things happen in, in their childhood or in their life at one point or another. The Bible says in Proverbs that everybody has their own sorrows and each person has their own joys. That there's something that is so sorrowful in your life that no one else can fully understand it like you do. And there's some things that bring others joy that nobody else will understand the way you do because of the sorrows you've been through. And this idea of us just being broken world chaos. And what I've noticed in church is that this, there's this idea out there that when you're healed, you're just healed and you never have to go back to it again. That you just, once you get over something, it never bothers you anymore. 
And skipping ahead to Genesis 42, verse 7, in this part of the Bible, Joseph's brothers, who originally were going to kill him, but instead sold him into slavery, they had forgot about Joseph and what they had done to him. They had moved on, and now they're coming to Egypt because there is a famine in the land, and Joseph happened to be the one in charge. They didn't even recognize Joseph when they came before him. And it said that they bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. And in verse 7 it says, Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from? He demanded. See, I think that following Joseph's story, it shows a lot of what we're like when we deal with past pain. When we deal with childhood trauma, is that part of us wants to act like we don't even know them. Part of us wants to act like we don't even know what that pain is anymore. That we just skipped it. That we're done with that. We're never going to revisit it again. And yet there's this inner hostility that's deep-rooted into our heart that comes out almost naturally. Anyone here have a problem with one of their parents? Yeah? You notice that even when you tell yourself in your head, I'm not even gonna, it doesn't even bother me anymore. Even when people ask you about it, you're like, oh, it doesn't even bother me. No, I'm over that. I, just, I don't even care. But whenever you talk to that parent, that family member yourself, that inner hostility comes out, doesn't it? It's just there. And you thought it was dead this whole time, but as soon as you see sight of that person, all that anger and rage comes back. You just naturally speak harshly to them. Someone else could say something that they say and you'd brush it off like, oh, they didn't mean it like that. But if that person says it like that, oh, I know exactly what they meant. <laughs> right? That inner hostility. It's deep. And have you noticed, I think something that's so interesting about our childhoods is that as a kid it can be so traumatic you bury it for so long and then one thing just triggers you and it's almost like you relive that moment again y'all know what I'm talking about and I want to read y'all one more thing about Joseph and his story before we move on we're talking about cursed right being cursed makes you curse. In chapter 45, starting in verse 1, it said, Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, Out, all of you! So he was alone with his brothers, and he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly, the Egyptians could hear him. And word of it quickly carried to the Pharaoh's palace. And see, this moment for Joseph was a moment that he finally confronted what he was bearing. That curse in his life that he just never wanted to talk about again. It's a moment that he finally confronted it. And, and do you see the brokenness in his heart? Keep in mind, this is when Joseph is at the best of his life. He is literally now in charge of all of Egypt 
People go to him for permission for everything. Nothing happens in Egypt without Joseph's permission. He's literally top dog. He's in charge. Everything that a person could want are at Joseph's fingertips. He, has, he needs nothing. And yet at this moment, his heart is so broken, it says that he wept so loud everybody else could hear his brokenness. Have you ever had a moment like that? Or are you still at that place of hostility? Are you still at that place where you're cursed and that curse follows you everywhere you go? See, in this moment, Joseph and his brokenness is a point where he finally found freedom from that curse. He confronted it, admitted who he was, confronted the very thing that brought him pain. And at that moment, it, it brought so much of his childhood, so much of his pain, so much trauma, and it all came up in a moment of brokenness. But in those moments of brokenness are the moments that we find true freedom. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And you got to know that even though our world is chaos and wants you to feel like you're cursed, that's one of the, the benefits of Christ is that the, the option of freedom is for us. The option of life and life abundantly is for us. And when I say life abundantly, I'm not talking about prosperity. I'm talking about where you feel alive again. Aren't you tired of feeling so dead inside? Aren't you tired of feeling empty? When I say life, and the Bible says life abundantly, the first thing it makes me thinking of is to uh, not just life to where you're breathing, not just where you're surviving, but to where you actually enjoy being alive. You enjoy living. Y'all catch the difference? Where you could say honestly, 100% that you're happy. I mean, how many of us can you even remember the last time that you were truly content and satisfied and happy within yourself? Y'all feel what I'm saying? And that, that freedom comes with brokenness, with confrontation. But it's when we confront those things that we're able to find that freedom from those curses. Now, that's a spiritual part of this. I want to talk to y'all about a practical sense. And that's community and collaboration. I heard this very interesting story when I attended a, the Global Leadership Summit this, this uh, couple months ago. And one of the speakers at this leadership conference was uh, uh, the mayor of Compton. I think it was Compton. But anyway, the mayor there, when she took an office, she had massive debt, massive crime, a lot of corruption, and imagine stepping into, like, you know when you just step into a job, any normal job, you're like, oh, they messed up here. 
but they got everything out of order. I think just about every job that I've stepped into, I'm just like, okay, well, this was unprepared. You know what I'm saying? And talking about entering a difficult situation to where everyone was already comfortable with things being horrible. And in the process of trying to make a difference in her city, one of the most powerful things that she talked about was collaboration with her community. And they, didn't, they had such a high crime rate and no money to just buy more police officers, to get more police staff, that instead what she did was she called a meeting with the, the major gang leaders in the community. And they came. And she talked with them about what they would need so that we could start getting the community turned around. And you know what those gang members said? Is that they needed jobs for their people. That they couldn't get any jobs. And, and she made a deal with them of bringing in great, uh, Fortune 500 businesses to the community to produce more jobs so that they wouldn't have to commit so many crimes. And they had this mutual agreement and they collaborated together to where, I, I don't remember the exact statistic, but you can do your own research, but it was, crime went down more than 30%. I, I wanna say that it was 60%, but I might you know, just be too excited in my head. <laughs> but think about, that's such a vast difference. That's a huge difference in their community. Where even if it was just 30%, one third, nearly one third of crime just going down because of collaboration. And if I, was, if I wasn't just excited about it, and if it was 60%, forgive me, two thirds just from collaborating with others. And now let's, let's kind of scale it back to our lives. How many of you guys are messed up? I told you guys how... I took a, a psych evaluation for, uh, for going into uh, juvenile justice ministry. I didn't realize how crazy I was <laughs> until after I did that psychological evaluation. I was like, man, I, I knew I was messed up, but dang, I didn't know that I was like that psychologically messed up. <laughs> and all of us have a point where we feel like we're crazy. All of us have a point where we feel like we, we're not enough. All of us are, feel like we've had moments where we're just battling to make it. And collaboration, having a community, that means is working with somebody else is a powerful moment. Can I read y'all a verse in Ecclesiastes? It's Ecclesiastes chapter 4, starting in verse 9. It says, two people are better off than one. For they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. How many of you guys have fallen alone? You're at a point in life where you're completely alone and you don't know who you're going to talk to, who can help you. Those are the scariest moments of anybody's life. It says, likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. 
Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. You know, simply involving somebody into your painful moment, it helps. It helps so much. Just letting somebody in. Pain is already hard. How much harder is it when you have to deal with it alone? Has anyone had a moment where you're going through a difficult time? It, to a point where you feel like vomiting. You ever been that, that anxious, that bad of a place where just, just being awake makes you want to vomit? Because of all of the stress, all of the pain. And if you've ever had a moment where you can just tell somebody what you're going through and they just listen, if you've ever had a moment like that, they don't even have to do anything. They just listen and you're like, wow, I had no idea you were going through that. And you instantly feel a little bit better. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's just, that's just getting it off your chest. That's just talking about it. Imagine if you actually start trusting people to come into your life. Imagine if you actually started working that idea of trust. Imagine if you actually had a community of people that you trusted. Wouldn't that be amazing? Imagine how much better you could get through a painful moment if you had a community of people, not just one person you can get something off your chest and talk to, but a community of people that love you and want to support you and care about you. Is that not so much stronger? But where are we going to find places like that? Because church hasn't been that for us, has it? It's so hard to find a church to be that for you. Because it's so superficial. Just walk in wearing your Sunday suit. Act like everything's okay. Hope that nobody judges you that day. And if someone starts talking to you about somebody else, you better get in on it too because that means they're not talking about you at that moment. So you get to look better in comparison. I one time had someone uh, that was not a Christian. They just got done telling me about um, how they, they didn't really like church. They didn't believe. And, you know, they just think church is hypocrites and etc. And then he started uh, just talking bad about somebody. And I was like, dang, man, you actually might fit in church more than you think. <laughs> you talk that bad about people. <laughs> I think you're a lot more like them than you realize. <laughs> See, how, how can we really find a church that we can collaborate with, that we can trust, that we can really be involved in by being that kind of church? Y'all dig what I'm saying? We talked last month about how most of the problems in church are created by the people of the church. How are we going to ever be able to, to win at life in this world of chaos if we're doing it alone? Not even Jesus, the Son of God, came and fulfilled his mission alone. But he chose people to surround himself with. And they weren't even that great of people. <laughs> the disciples weren't even that great. One of them was a Judas. And yet he allowed himself to trust people so that he could collaborate with them because he was willing to show an example of collaboration, of community, of how it's not, you don't have to be a lone wolf 
in this world. Y'all feel me? I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm tired of being alone. I'm tired. I'm so tired of church being just this one person game. Of everyone just doing life on their own and trying to act like everything's okay when it's not. I, I can't do life like that. I can't do church like that. And throughout all of history, amazing achievements and milestones are so much faster achieved with community, with accountability, with people. Even when it comes to healing, when someone is able to listen and able to be involved, even the healing of a heart is healed so much faster when people are there, really there. And so I want to give one last example of a, a person like that, and it's a person called Jonathan who's friends with David in the Bible. And in chapter 18, verse 1, it says, After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From, the day, from that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as much as he loved himself. And Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. You know, the reason I want to share this verse is because it's very symbolic. It says that Jonathan loved David so much that he made a pact with him, and he traded with him his robe, his tunic, all of his weapons. And Jonathan was the king's son. David was a nobody. And see, this is a true sign of friendship that Jonathan... What the robe meant, what, that was a symbol of power, of authority, of position. And he traded it with David. And he gave it to him as a symbol. All of his weapons, he, he made himself defenseless in front of David. And see, that's, that's a perfect sign of what it's like when you truly find that best friend. It's where it, it doesn't matter what job you have or where you are in life, that your position doesn't matter because... When you talk one-on-one -on -one with each other, none of, the, none of the rest of your lives matter. It's just you and that person. Y'all dig what I'm saying? They're just completely there for you. And they're not trying to bring their junk into your junk. They're trying to help load off your junk that, at that moment. Y'all dig what I mean? They're not trying to fix you when you're talking to them. I think that's my number one pet peeve is when I try to talk to somebody and they try to fix the situation. Anyone know what I'm talking about? That's when the, my inner violence comes out, my inner hostility. Because I just need to talk about some things sometimes. And the most meaningful part of Jonathan with David is that he makes himself defenseless in front of David. Have you ever heard the term of like, I have walls up? It's hard for me to talk because I have walls up. Another, another idea of what that looks like is having your weapons up, your swords up, your shields up. A wall in old times, that, that was the defense, the number one defense for a city. And it says that Jonathan laid down his weapons and was, allowed himself to be vulnerable with David. He trusted him that much that he didn't keep a dagger in his back pocket. 
He didn't keep a shield behind him just in case. But he's willing to trust him. And I think that's one of the most valuable things that isn't given nowadays is trust. Because we hold on the same expectations of our past on people in the present. You know what I mean? When I met my wife, the person she dated before me was younger than her. And so she made a principle in her life saying that I'm never going to date anybody again that's younger than me. Well, don't know if y'all know this, but I'm younger than Lauren. (laughs) And see, in order for our relationship to work, she had to put down the weapons of her past. Y'all dig that? I heard somebody else tell me one time they were talking about their relationship and, and this lady said, well, um, I, I left my, my spouse. We ended up having to get a divorce. Now I'm never going to marry a pastor again. I never want to be with a pastor again. I was like, dang, chill. <laughs> I'm a pastor. <laughs> How could you say that? And see, it's, it's like the same. You can replace that with anything. I'm never going to date somebody in the military again. I'm never going to date somebody that does this ever again. And we put up these, these principles, these guards, these walls for one moment of history, one moment in our lives. And we put that standard on every other single person. And it's not fair. And it doesn't allow opportunity for something great to happen. Y'all dig what I'm saying? We got to be willing to trust. Imagine if we were to be honest and say, I'm never going to really trust a church again because of the last church I went to. Every church is the same. Are we ever going to find healing? Are we ever going to find a community like that? We, we have to be willing to give the next church, the next person a chance and extend trust rather than making them earn it first. I like what Craig Rochelle says. He says, trust should be extended, not earned. Only distrust should be earned. That you do something to lose that trust. But we should give the benefit of extending trust. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And the final thing I want to share with you guys is the comeback moments. We talked about being cursed all of our lives. Living in chaos. Having your childhood pains follow you everywhere you go. You're breaking down at random moments of the day just because you got triggered at one point. What about the comeback moments? For Joseph, he's the perfect example of a comeback moment because he went from pain, more pain, and excruciating pain to all of a sudden in chapter 41 of Genesis Verse 37, it says, Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You know what this verse is exemplifying in Joseph's comeback moment is that his experience brought him to this point of being ready for his future. That his experience, everything that he's been through, prepared him for the moment of his purpose. Because we don't really see a lot of exchange from Pharaoh here. 
But Pharaoh is not an idiot. He called Joseph from the prison to interpret a dream. Don't you think that one of his questions was, well, why did he get in there? <laughs> if I'm about to bring this guy up to talk to, why is he in prison in the first place? See, he understood Joseph's history. They probably even extended all the way back to when he was sold as a slave to Potiphar in the first place. And knowing that he was in prison all this time, that the, the majority of his life was in this, this, this being enslaved and being in prison, he says, no one else is as intelligent as you are. Another thing, he's, you're, what we can see here is that he's saying, no one else has the experience that you do with the spirit of God that you have. You've experienced God in a way that nobody else can. That's why the spirit of God is on you. And so why am I going to look anywhere else when it's obvious that your life has prepared you for this moment? See, that's a comeback moment. A point where you say, I'm done being victimized. I'm done letting my childhood control my future. I'm done letting the pain I've experienced hinder my purpose. I'm done. I'm done. And in this moment, Joseph was ready because he turned all of his pain into experience. He turned all of his pain into preparation. These comeback moments are often re related as being reflected on and being seemingly defeats in our lives. But it's at every seeming defeat in history is it inspirational moments that comebacks happen from those defeats, from that pain. I really like this verse in Isaiah 61, verse 3. It says, To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, there will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted in his own glory. See, this, the Bible is talking about how all of the ashes of our lives, what are ashes? It's something that was burned down is that he will turn them into great oaks. I just think of an awesome giant treehouse. Great oaks that are sturdy and planted. He's saying that everything painful in your life that has brought those fiery ashes, he's going to turn into something beautiful and strong. But it's only if we go back to the moment where we realize that our world is chaos, but our God is sovereign. Only if we really reflect on that true hope. And the last verse I'm going to share, because my wife shared it with me earlier this week, and I thought it was so inspiring, is in Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 27. It says, Oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? How can you say that the Lord doesn't see you? Everyone's felt like that, right? God, where are you? I prayed and you didn't answer. I cried out and you didn't see me. And this Bible verse says, what makes you think God doesn't see you? He doesn't see the pain you're going through. It says, oh Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? 
Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youth will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. What's most powerful about these verses that I'm reading to you is that it never suggests that you won't feel weak. It never suggests that you won't feel pain. In fact, it suggests the very opposite. It says he gives power to the weak, meaning that we experience weakness, that we experience pain. It says that he gives strength to the powerless. Isn't those those curse moments where you feel like nothing you do matters because you're just cursed? You're powerless against this curse in your life. This is that he gives strength to the powerless. And one of my favorite parts is that even the youth will become weak and tired. And young men will fall in exhaustion. You see, even no matter how strong we are how strong we've become, no matter how much self-discipline you've attributed to yourself, says no matter what, there's going to be a moment that you feel weak, that you fall out of exhaustion. I, I think our, nowadays, what is the number one cure for anything that we're going through? More self-love, right? More self-love will get you through anything. See, this is saying that no matter how young and optimistic you are, you're going, to be, you're going to get exhausted from this world. You're going to get exhausted from how chaotic and painful this world is. But that in those moments that when we continue to trust in him, that, he's, that he has a turnaround, a comeback for us. That at a moment, there'll be a moment where we say, I'm done laying in the dirt. I'm done being defeated. I'm done. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And in this, in this moment today, we talked a lot about feeling cursed we talked about chaos. We talked about the need of collaborating with the community and the necessity to trust them. And we talked about having a comeback. Having a comeback in your life. And maybe the comeback for you is coming back to God. There's been moments in my life where pain and difficulty caused me to not want to talk to God. When I would think about God, anger was the first emotion that came to me. In those moments, it's like we try to just put off and hide and, and stifle God's spirit. We just don't want to deal with it. We don't want to deal with Him. But in those moments for me, there is, there is one day where 
I would have a comeback moment to God. I would come back to Him and tell Him, I'm, I'm willing to trust you again. Because you are still sovereign. And if that's you here today and you need to have a comeback moment with God, you're, you're ready to trust Him. Maybe again, maybe for the first time. With every eye closed and head bowed, I want you to just raise your hand. Amen. Amen. So I want you to pray this prayer with me because the Bible makes it so incredibly simple. It says in the book of Romans to start this kind of moment with God again. It just takes a simple prayer, a belief. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he rose from the grave... That that's all it takes for this exchange is a conversation. And so pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I want to come back to you right now. I felt far away in my heart. And I've ignored you. I've stifled your spirit. Because I was upset. Because I was angry. Because I was scared. But I want to trust you. I believe in you. I know that you rose from the dead, Jesus. And that you died on the cross for me. So I come back to you right now. And ask you to be the Lord of my life. The Savior to my soul. And give me strength once again. Give me peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. And I want to pray one last thing over you guys. And I know that a lot of us have been going through some weak moments, some difficult moments, some hard moments. With all of us still in this atmosphere of prayer, if you just need this last verses that we read, you need some of that strength we're talking about. You don't, we don't have to have a counseling session or anything like that right now. I'm not going to ask you all to stand up or come up. But with every head bowed and eye closed, if you just need that strength right now, Can you just raise your hand? Amen. Amen. So God, right now, I ask for the strength of the Holy Spirit. These verses that we just read, Lord, we believe them. And we are weary. We are weak. We are tired. We are exhausted. And we feel powerless. And so we cry out to you, God. We want to know your presence. We want to know your strength. We are not satisfied with where we're at in this life right now. And we need you to move. We need the supernatural God, not just a God that we talk about, not a God of words, but a God of power. And so, Lord, we come before you and we ask that you give us strength and show us what these verses mean. We surrender to you, Lord, and we we trust you. Have your way in our lives and in our hearts. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. I want to thank you guys for being a part of today's service. And one thing that we do at Gravetop Church is that we end our services with time of worship. A lot of churches usually have worship at the beginning to help, you know, accustom different people getting in late. But we, we want to have a moment where we're engaged in worship. to where after hearing a message like this, we reflect with God one on one in a time of worship. And so as we turn off the lights, as we play some worship songs on the screen, I want to ask you all to stand up with me. And...
I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.